millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A Living History Production. I'm Peter Hart. And I'm Gary Bain. And together we're Pete and Gary's Military History Podcast. Hello, 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 and welcome to uh, the podcast. I'm at uh, my house today with the lovely Peter Hart. I am lovely. You are, and you're also here. Don't forget to turn your phone off, Pete. Oh, I'll just uh, attend to that minor task. <laughs> uh, what are we doing Not today? That anybody ever rings me. We're doing Oswald Bolker, German master ace. Ooh. It's a long time since we've done Air War, isn't it? So it is. And we, we've done in the past, we've done Manic, we've done a couple of episodes on Albert Ball. Mick Manic. Edward Manic. Oh, Edward. And we've done Richthofen, of course. We have. Manfred von Richthofen, uh, who was taught everything he knows by Oswald Bulker, who we're doing today. Great hero of mine, a, a, a great chap. So sketch in the background for us a, a little bit, Gary. Well, he was uh, born uh, the son of a schoolmaster on the 19th Not of May. Not a preacher, May. man. No. On the 19th of May, 1891, in uh, Giebekenstein in Saxony. But he soon moved to what was later known as his hometown of Dessau, which is also in Saxony. Yeah, I'm not quite sure whether it is or isn't. I've found that a bit vague on some of the sources, but it's in Germany. It's definitely in Germany. Now, Bolker was interested in a military career from a very early age. He did quite well at school. He excelled at maths and physics, although he was almost a dwarf at only five foot seven inches. Now, I think that's almost a giant, personally. Yeah, you can tell he wrote that particular note for yeah. you. <laughs> but he, he was a, a well-built, strong lad, and he did well in most sports. Yeah, he did a lot of... And, and I was quite interested. He did a lot of mountain climbing, some quite rough routes, and nearly got killed a couple of times in the Austrian Alps. So he's quite an adventurous type, isn't he? Yeah. Now, on leaving school, Bolker joined the 3rd Telegraph Battalion in Koblenz as a cadet officer in March 1911. He then goes on, uh, uh, I see, uh, to attend the Military Academy in Metz, uh, 1912. And he passed out, having done OK. I think he was assessed as fair enough in, in academically. But what were praised were his leadership skills. And I think that's important in view of what is to uh, go on. So he goes back to his battalion, back to the Telegraph Battalion, Signals Battalion, uh, like our Royal Engineers Signals, I presume. Promoted to Lautenant. Uh, and uh, his main occupation is training new signalers, uh, I suppose, telegraphers or whatever. Um, now, 
Is there any signs uh, of his future um, greatness? Yeah, I mean, uh, during 1913, he manages to pursue his interest in aviation when he goes for a few flights in an aircraft. And he also witnesses... He'd have trouble without the aircraft. He would, but he also witnesses uh, an aerobatic performance by the French aviator, Adolphe Pegu. Who was one of the very early aces, I think. Uh, or I'm not sure whether he reached five kills, but he was certainly one of the French flyers. Now, he, uh, so what does he do? How do he, I think he keeps it a secret from his parents, <laughs> but he applies for the uh, German Air Force. He does, and that's in May 1914. So before the war, he's accepted into pilot's training, which he begins at the Halberstadt Flying School, passing his final exam on the 15th of August, 1915. That's just after the outbreak of war then, yeah. Blimey. Uh, so uh, what's his first job? Well, he's not given a great job. He's, uh, he's training new pilots for a while. Uh, uh, but he wants to see action. And at the end of August, he joins his older brother, who we haven't mentioned at all, but who was also in the Air Force, and that's Wilhelm Bolker. Uh, and they're both at... Where are they at, Gary? <laughs> they're both at Feldflieger Ab- Abtalung... 13. Or, what does that mean? Uh, Feldflieger Abteilung uh, 13, which is Field Flying Detachment 13. Now, from the 1st of September, both brothers flew several missions together, excelling in carrying more and longer missions than any other crews in the detachment. Yeah, they were, they were press-on pilots. Do you think that made them popular with the rest of the detachment? Well, probably not. And it, there was also probably a bit of sibling rivalry driving them on, wasn't there? Yeah, it could be. Now, in 1915, for a while, he's ho- hospitalised with asthma. Uh, that was uh, something he always suffered uh, uh, to the end of his life, which wasn't that far away, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> oh, well, we needn't bother now. You've given it all away. <laughs> giving it all away. Uh, why did he have? Uh, why, why did he get asthma a lot? He'd, he'd had a whooping cough when he was a uh, whooping cough as a child. And it did... Bugged his lungs up a bit, I suppose. Um, March 15, the brothers are parted. Why is that? Where's, where's Bolker, Oswald Bolker posted to? Well, he's posted to Feldflieger Abteilung uh, Zwein Sexig. Have you noticed my f- slightness of thought in avoiding these things? Yeah, I've, I've noticed that, and, which is the uh, field flying detachment number 62 in La Braille Douai, which is in France. And he gets there in uh, 25th of April. Um, he's, he's been identified by this time as a potential scout pilot. He's showing signs of the sort of independent, you know, the, the, the technical skills required. Um, so he's sent in May 1915 to... Where's he sent? Uh, just forgotten for a moment. Oh, the KEK. Well, what's that stand for? The Kampf Einsitzer Kommando Dwey, which means the Single-Seater Scout Detachment Dwey. Now, uh, funnily enough, he, he scores his first victory, if you like, um, but he's actually flying a two-seater at the time, and this is the LVG C- an LVG C2, a two-seater uh, aircraft, and he's, uh, he's, he's accompanied by his observer, Lieutenant von Wulschisch, <laughs> and he uh, has a bit of a victory, well, a bit of a victory. He, he scores the, his first triumph over a, a French parasol monoplane, which is quite interesting because that's very similar to what he would be flying later on. And this was on the 4th of July, 1915. And you're going to be Bolker and tell us a story. Luckily, we were faster than he, so he could not escape. By all kinds of manoeuvres, he tried to increase the distance between us without success, for I was always close on him. It was glorious. 
I always stuck to him so my observer could fire at close range. We could plainly see everything on our opponent's monoplane, almost every wire in fact. The average distance between us was 100 metres. Often we were within 30 metres, for at such high speeds you cannot expect success unless you get very close together. I love the idea that that's high, the high speeds. I doubt if they're doing more than 80 or 90 miles an hour. Uh, and even in the first one, well, they push up to 130, 40 later on. Um, there, there, there are great advances coming, though. Uh, so, so what is the advance that's coming? Well, we've talked about this before, haven't we? Uh, do you want to sketch it out, or should I? Which... which well, we talked about the roller coaster, haven't we, and how uh, at various points of the roller coaster, technology uh, is, is either in the ascendancy or is being overtaken. And, and you, in fact, described it as a dual um, roller coaster with one at a height and one below. And, and the development that you're referring to is the Fokker uh, E1 Eindecker. Or monoplane, yeah. Uh, and that was a response to the victories of uh, Roland Garros, which was... He's an airport, isn't he? Yes, which was secured by firing through the propeller arc, which was protected by a steel plate. And so basically, the, some bullets would bounce off the yeah, steel plate. some would come off the steel plate, and they could go anywhere, of course. Now, that's stupid, essentially, isn't it? Because, uh, and funny enough, he does crash land eventually. Uh, maybe something to do with that. Uh, but uh, the, 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 somebody else comes up with a better system. Now, who is... It? Well, it's always put down to uh, Anthony Fokker, who was a, a Dutch... Uh, aircraft manufacturer and aircraft designer um, I think it's more likely his engineers worked out uh, this because what do they come up with they come they come up with a, a sort of interrupter gear and a, a synchronization system I always get it wrong which it is it's basically uh, f to allow the forward firing air-cooled parabellum machine gun to fire through the arc of the propeller now Oswald uh, Boswell Bolker is, uh, and this is on which aircraft? It's the Fokker IE1 Eindecker, and that is very similar to the uh, the, the Marine Parasol. It's uh, it's a very simple aircraft, but this 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 business of firing through the propeller arc is is very different. And you're going to explain it as uh, Lieutenant Oswald Bolker of the KEK. It's a bit like the Ramon song. The KKK took my baby away. They took her away. They took her away. Do I? Yes. I'm going to be Oswald Bolker. You are. It is quite a simple business. The gun is mounted rigidly on the machine's bonnet and points forward. It has a catch which is connected with the engine by a rod. The safety catch acts on the machine gun automatically through this rod whenever a propeller blade passes in front of the barrel. As soon as the blade is clear, the machine gun is automatically released again and can fire whenever I press a button that is connected with its trigger. Have you grasped it? No. Naturally, I cannot aim with the gun because it is mounted in a fixed position. But the art of shooting is to fly in such a way that the machine is in a direct line with the target whenever I shoot. So it's like a car. Yeah, now that's a very good point, isn't it? You've got to, he's, he's saying you've got to point the aircraft at whatever it is that you want to shoot at. And I, I always say, when, when he says, have you grasped it? No. <laughs> His explanation was perfectly sound and understandable by anyone with some semblance of a brain. Whoosh, straight over my head, I'm afraid. But there you go. No, I think that's a really good explanation. Oh, you completely understand it then? No. <laughs> <laughs> now, the, 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 are there a lot of uh, fuckers? 
Well, <laughs> there, there were then. There were an enormous amount of Fokkers then. But uh, the Fokkers were issued singly or in pairs to operational Feldflieger Abteilung units. And among the first to fly the Fokker were Lieutenants Oswald Bolker, Kurt Vinchgens, and Max Immelman. Now, all of them become successful aces and all would die within just over a year. Hmm. Um, yeah. Now, so there they are. They've got this, 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 this. It's the, the Fokker is not a particularly great aircraft, it, but it is well suited to what's been fitted to it the forward firing machine gun. Uh, so, um, they, they begin to score their first victories because can you imagine how you'd feel if you're in a British aircraft and something's flying straight down to you? How would you feel when it suddenly opens fire through the propeller? It's a massive advance for the time, and uh, uh, and it gave them a big advantage. Now they get their first victories in July and August 1915, and Bolker himself strikes for the first time in a Fokker on the 19th of August 1915. And you're you're going to be Oswald Bolker. An English Bristol biplane seemed to take me for a Frenchman. He came towards me quite leisurely, a thing our opponents generally don't do. But when he saw me firing at him, he quickly turned. I followed close on him, letting him have all I could give. I must have hit him or his machine, for he suddenly shut off his engine and disappeared below me. As the fight took place over the enemy's positions, he was able to land behind his own lines. Now, what's interesting for me is, firstly, you notice that the, he's mistaken the very similar aircraft to very, very, for a French one. Um, but... For me, the, the whole language of, of uh, aerial fighting, it's not been written. We've said this before. This, this is young German pilots evolving what aerial tactics from scratch. There's nothing. There's no, there's no guidebook. There's no dicta. There's no nothing to, to show them what to do. Um, but, but what they do do is, is originally straight head-on attacks, a bit like uh, Balkers describing there. But what do they develop? How do they start to become more sophisticated? Well, one of the, the things they do is they soon learn to use the relatively high altitude ceiling of the Fokker to lurk far above the lines until they actually sight their prey, upon which they would dive down out of the dazzling sun to attack the uh, prospective victim from behind to capitalise on their advantage in being able to fire straight ahead. So beware the hun in the sun. Indeed. Now, what what do you think that... I think there's two two real aspects of the of the characters and and, and nature of these men, Bulker, Immelman, and Vintgens. I can't say his name. Um, what 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 do these men have that that, in my view, make them special? Well, not only do they have the the, the courage and brains to exploit the superiority of the Fokker over the British aircraft uh, then available on the Western Front, they're 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 preparing to use it. You mentioned earlier. Um, uh, Albert Ball, who we've described as a, a berserker and being unable to teach others. These were learning and passing that on as well. And, and hunting together, beginning to hunt together as pairs. The whole thing about the fighter pair is starting to... So what, what, what is the advantage of, of, of working together in the air, of saying not just being a lone pilot, but being two of you or three of you? Well, not only does it maximise the deadly effect but it actually helps to reduce the collective risk as far as possible. I mean, there's still risk, but, but you're trying to reduce that. And, uh, and, and often, contrary to uh, the earlier instructions... Oh, Germans would be worried about them crashing. Yeah, and... they fly over the Allied lines. Now... What are the results are? So is this... So, uh... 
Well, we, we've said before, when, when you compare them to, to that, those on the ground in the trenches below them, they're, they're in, uh, infinitesimal. But it is embuggering the, uh, the Allies. They're, they're, they're found it, it makes it difficult to carry out their observation and artillery observation duties. Now, uh, so September 1950, this is typical of the Germans, they bring in new models of the Iron Decker, Fokker Iron Decker, and uh, increased engine power. Uh, and uh, and two guns, second gun mounted on the, the the nose. I'm not sure how frequent that was used. Uh, how's Bolker doing? Well, he's doing quite well. On the first of November, after his sixth victory, sixth blimey, he's yeah. He's awarded the Royal House Order of Hohenzollern, which is the Royal House, uh, and he's also awarded the Prussian Life Saving Medal for rescuing a French boy who was drowning drowning in a canal back in August 1950. Now we threw that in because that just shows what kind of guy he is. I mean, he sees a French boy struggling in a canal, he dives in at considerable personal risk to himself to rescue the lad, and uh, that was recognised by that life saving. So he's he, he coming across as a good bloke. Um, now, the Fokker scourge, where, um, as, as, as the months go on, uh, what, why do I say it's exaggerated? What, what key statistics shows why it's exaggerated? Well, they'd shot down just some 28 aircraft, uh, which doesn't sound a lot, does it? But nevertheless, the aces, as they, they called, were being... The aces more than five victims, isn't it? Yeah, and, and I've, I've always been surprised at that. I, you know, I've mentioned it uh, before with uh, Lano Hawker, for example, uh, how, how few a number it is. But they, the Germans, unlike the, uh, the British, were, were lionising the, the aces and their deeds were front page news in the newspapers, whereas the, the British were, were not publishing anything at all. No, no. Now, in January 1916, Bolker is awarded the prestigious Pour le Mérite. So that's, um, it's not the same, but it's like a German VC. It, it's an extremely prestigious award, isn't it, as you said. Um, now, it's beginning, his, his, his abilities are recognised. 11th of March uh, 1916, he's given command of six scout pilots. And what's this, well, what's his new unit called? <laughs> The new uh, Flieger Abteilung Sivri, which is the Flying Detachment Sivri. You're, you're just amazing, Gary. Yeah, this is seen as the precursor of the German fighter squadrons or Jasters. Now, it's also at this time that Bolker, he's given the credit for the uh, that he creates the first early warning system. I'm not sure it's the first, but he certainly does establish a frontline observation post linked by telephone to the Sivri airfield so that when, the, when there's victims up in the air, it, they can phone and ask them for them to be intercepted. And it is all part of showing Bolker as a thinking airman as well as a, uh, his personal skills. Um, How's he doing? Well, his successes continue to mount, and on the 12th of March 1916, he becomes the first ace to score 10 victories, rising to 12 just a week later. So the pace of kills is starting to... Kills is a terrible term, but it's... Victims, it's rising, isn't it? It is, and on the 21st of May 1916, Bolker shoots down two enemy planes, and uh, as a result, he's rewarded by promotion to Hauptmann. That's captain, isn't it? Yeah. Essentially, right. Now, uh, what uh, is the is the by this time March April 1916? Where is the Fokker standing in relation to other aircraft? Well, again, we're we're talking about the uh, the turn, the turn of the key, or the the rising of the uh, roller coaster. And by this time, the Fokker's actually obsolescent, as the French Newport 11 and the British DH2 single seater fighter and FE2B. 
pusher aircraft. Two-seater, but they're both pushers, aren't they? Why does that overcome the problem of shooting through a propeller? Because the propeller's behind you. Got um, it, like a jet. And both these aircraft, they begin to get a grip over the battlefields. Um, it's quite sad in a sense, because I quite like Max Zimmerman as well. What happens to Max Zimmerman? Well, on the 18th of June 1916, with a final score of 17 victories, Zimmerman was shot down by an FE-2B. Now, Bolker, that leaves him the highest scoring ace, I would imagine. Alive, certainly. and He's a hero to the German public. Um, and the wheels turn on the Western Front, or the... the so isn't that a bit risky for him? What do it they is. Do? So as a result, Kaiser Wilhelm II grounds him to avoid losing him in combat too soon after Immelman. So if you invest all your national manhood in a couple of symbols and one shot down, you don't want the other you one. You don't want the other one to be. So now, by the time he's recalled, he, he moves on quickly to, to his 19th victim. And uh, Bolker's then encouraged to share his aerial tactics with the head of the German military aviation. And uh, you're going to be Colonel Hermann von der Leith Thompson of the German Air Service. Bolker then spent several days with my staff in order to cooperate closely with our experts in establishing the basic principles of scout flying and making preparations for the further development of this new arm. At my request, he drew up the following summary of the principles which should govern every air fight. Briefly composed and simply expressed, they were also to serve as a source of success for the younger scouts. These principles established by Bolker remained in force until the end of the war. Now, these are called the Dicta Bolker. Now, they're, uh, they're, are they, in the old phrases, are they rocket science? No, uh, and, they're, and they're not unique either. They, they were published as an instructional pamphlet. Um, and, and the principles, are being, they're recorded in slightly varying forms. But in essence, they were as follows. What? What are they? One. Let's, let's, let's go through them one by one. I'll do, you do one, I'll do the next. Try to secure advantages before attacking. If possible, keep the sun behind you. Beware the hun in the sun, right? So that's obvious. Uh, basically, you get the advantage because they can't see you. Think of it when you look into the sun and then try and see, you can't see anything. So that's right, that's obvious. So the second one, always carry through an attack when you've started it. That's fairly obvious. Fairly obvious. Number three, fire only at close range and only when your opponent is properly in your sights. Now, that is clearly obvious because the greater distance, the more chance you're going to miss. You've got a finite amount of ammunition. You want to make sure that you hit the target. Always keep your eye on your opponent and never let yourself be deceived by ruses. Yeah, pretty it, obvious. it's pretty obvious. You don't want to be sort of sucked into a trap, as it were. Uh, number five, in any form of attack is essential to assail your opponent from behind. Either above and behind or below and behind. But why behind? Because they can't see they you. They can't see you. And, and again, it gets back to one of the intentions is to minimise the risk to yourself. On the other hand, two-seaters. That, that one, that one's uh, two-seaters do have a gunner in the back end. They so, do, but so, don't forget... So then we, you come from below, so they can't... So that's an interesting one. Uh, where are we now? What's next? If your opponent dives on you, do not try and evade his onslaught, but fly to meet it. I think that means that if you try and evade it, it'll just get on your tail. Yeah, so, so, so you're best taking it on head on. And, and then last minute uh, manoeuvre. Uh, what's next, Gary? 
And number seven, when over the enemy's lines, never forget your own line of retreat. I think that would be the first of my uh, principles uh, if I was to, to establish them. Yes. Yeah, I think we don't need to say anything about that one, do we? For the staffle, attack on principle in groups of four or six. When the fright breaks up into a series of single combats, take care that several do not go for one opponent. Now, this is one that I know I've drawn to your attention before, but why can't two people attack the same aeroplane from behind at the same time? Well, because they'll converge, and, and if you're firing the, the rounds, uh, it, it's going to come to a fixed point. And actually, the other issue is, if you're all attacking one aircraft, what are the other aircraft doing? But the main reason? I don't know. You've forgotten, haven't you? You'll bump wingies. Oh, that's an obvious reason, <laughs> eventually, yes. And if you bump wingies, what will happen? Well, you'll probably crash and burn. And why is that relevant to Bulker? Well, you'll find out. Don't give it all away. I can't give it all away. Now, these rules were a code for effective air fighting with an emphasis on achieving the best possible results and living to fight another day. Now, a bit like Manic then? Well, yeah, but I said earlier, even in 1916, they're not earth-shatteringly original. I should mention that Manic, of course, was operating in 17 and 18. What I mean is that the, these principles were established early by Bolker, but were very similar to those established by Manic later on. I, I want to make that clear. But I also want to make the point, again, that these are things that you can teach. Whereas, again, we've mentioned with uh, Albert Ball that, that you couldn't teach what Albert Ball did because he, he, you know, he, he was the only one that could do that. These you can teach to other pilots. So they're a distillation of one great pilot's experience in combat, which can then be used to teach others. I think that's spot on. Now, so what? If only what... I'd known that the two aircraft would have crashed by touching wings. <laughs> well, never mind. <laughs> I'm sure you'll find out. I'll get my coat. I'm sure you'll find out, Gary in a moment as we approach the end of this. Now, uh, so uh, 10th of July, where, where, what's, what's Bolker doing? Well, he goes on a tour of the Balkans well, he's only and he visits Turkey. Well, sort of. The, if, from his diary notes, the journey seems to be a combination of both uh, military facility inspections, a celebrity tour and a holiday. Holidays. It's a bit like a Peter Hart battlefield tour. Never heard of him. No, me. Now, while he's in Constantinople, not Istanbul, he learned that in his absence, the French and British airmen have actually taken air superiority from the Germans on the Western Front, and they now control the skies above the Verdun and Somme battlefields. Now, this is a combination of the new aircraft, all those new aircraft we mentioned, a DH-2, the FE-2B, shot with one and a half Strutter, my favourite ever aircraft. <laughs> uh, they're all come in, and the, fo the Fokker's getting a bit old, so the Germans are in need of a new generation of aircraft to come, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, what else is um, uh, so so yeah so uh, uh, bulk has ordered back um, and and what's he told to do? Well, he's got to organise and lead Jagstaffel or Jasta Two, which is a fully fledged scout squadron of fourteen. Sorry, I'll say that again. Of fourteen pilots on the Somme front. Now, how's he going to do that? Well, he's got to find uh, the, the right people to recruit uh, who he wants in the Juster. And, and one, so he can pick who he wants? He can pick who he wants. And one such young cavalry officer, Manfred von Richthofen, Ooh, is, is one of his finds. The Red Baron. Now, another one of his find, finds was a 37-year-old, <sighs> Irving Berm. 
who was a civil engineer returned from six years in Africa to re-enlist in the military. Now, both of those would prove to be significant. Why is that, I wonder? Mm, I wonder. Now, uh, Tobolka starts building... He comes back to the West Front. He's, he's building the, up Jasta 2 at their uh, newly assigned base, uh, which is by, by Velu Woods. Uh, now... This doesn't happen quickly uh, because the pilots have got to come in, the, the, the aircraft. And in the meantime, uh, what does Bolker do? Well, he's flying alone in a, in a Fokker D3 biplane. And uh, on the 2nd of September, Bolker took off and attached himself to a group of LVG and Roland two seaters. But they're attacked by two DH2 pilots, a second Lieutenant Arthur Knight and second Lieutenant Alfred McKay. Uh, they were on patrol in the afternoon near Poziers. And Ooh. you're going to be Captain Alan Wilkinson of 24 Squadron RFC. I recognise that. Isn't that that's, uh, that's um, what's his name? Chap I like. Hawker. Lano Hawker Lano Squadron. Squadron. Attack yeah. everything. That's his motto. All right, here we go. An LVG escorted by a small brown single seater machine came over Gravillas. Gravillas. Gravillas one of the two, at 11,000 feet. Lieutenant Knight, who is now at 12,500 feet and higher than the HA, standing for hostile aircraft, engaged them at northeast of Lasars. The LVG at once dived away and Lieutenant Knight attacked the other machine, diving and firing a few rounds at close range. The HA went down gently and commenced to spiral. The DH-2 following, firing a few short bursts. The HA turned underneath Lieutenant Knight, who dived almost vertically and fired the remainder of a drum at about five yards range, almost colliding with the enemy machine. The HA went down in a nosedive, falling into cloud, apparently out of control. Well, well, that, that aircraft, that small brown aircraft was uh, Bolker. Uh, so what had happened? Well, Wilkinson and Knight had been deceived as Bolker's actually survived the clash unscathed, although perhaps he's a little chastened by the apparent ring rustiness which was probably caused by his two-month layoff. This is a highly skilled business, and aircraft are changing. Things do change. You go away for uh, two, 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 you know, a couple of months, and things have changed. You need to keep up to speed. However, however, uh, he doesn't seem to be uh, too held back. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Right, because uh, later the same day, he, he, get, he exacts his vengeance. And I'm going to be Helpman Oswald Bolker, uh, now of Jester 2. I saw shell burst west of Bapalm. There, I found a BE. What's a BE, Pete? A Blerio Experimental, probably a, a B2C or one of the variants. Now, that was followed by three Vickers single-seaters, i.e. an artillery plane with its escort. Uh, I, they were almost certainly DH2s. but I went for the BE, but the other three interrupted me in the middle of my work, and so I beat a hasty retreat. One of those fellows thought he could catch me and gave chase. Now, the escort was indeed a group of... The, the, the Germans tended to call them Vickers. They were, because that's what an early... The Vickers, the Vickers fighter was the first pusher fighter. And they called... They tend to call everything Vickers. So uh, it's, uh, it's a DH2s of 32 squadron. And amongst them was uh, Captain Robert Wilson. And he was the man who... And why, <laughs> would you have pursued Oswald Bolker? No. <laughs> and you're going to be Captain Robert Wilson of 32 squadron. I saw a German scout intending to polish off one of our slow old BEs and came just in time to rescue it. After I loosed off a couple of shots of the German, he went to a, into a turn and flew home. I was fool enough to chase him and, and failed to spot that he only wanted to lure me further onto his territory. When I had followed him about 15 miles behind the German lines, he turned round and attacked me by climbing above me at a fabulous speed. He flew a machine I never saw before, and I had no idea of its speed and climbing capacity. Oh, dear. Now, when Bolker gets Wilson exactly where he wants him, he duly goes in for the kill. And you're going to be Oswald Bolker, are you? I am. When I had lured him somewhat away from the others, I gave battle and soon got to grips with him. I did not let him go again. He did not get another shot in. When he went down, his machine was wobbling badly. Now, Wilson, he's got no chance and his, his, his sole priority soon is, is survival. And this, I'm going to be Robert Wilson again. I hardly let off a couple of shots before my gun jammed so that I could not fire a single round more. That explains what Bolker says, doesn't it? Under these circumstances, I did the only thing left to me and f fled to get out of the way of a better machine and a superior pilot. I tried to shake him off by all sorts of tricks, but he followed all my movements magnificently and sat on my neck the whole time. He shot away all my controls, with the exception of two that were jammed, shot holes in my machine, shot the throttle away when I had my hand on it, then he put some holes in my tank and a couple in my coat when it was soaked with petrol. Naturally, I lost all control over my machine, which whizzed down in a nosedive. A most uncomfortable sensation. I sat there, pretty dizzy, and waited for the crash. 
when I hit the ground below, but when about 50 foot up, I made a desperate tug at the stick and somehow obtained enough control at the last moment to dodge the crash and bring off some sort of a landing, which, however, set the machine and my coat on fire. I managed to jump out and pull my coat off without getting burnt. Blimey, wow, how lucky was he? Yeah, and again, we, we've talked about luck. You know, these the, at any point that could have ignited a fire uh, while he was, you know, being shot at in the air. Now, he's escaped with his life and uh, he's then courteously entertained by Balker in the officer's mess where he made a great impression on Wilson, both as a pilot and as a man. And again, we'll come back to that because there is a small epitaph to that. Now, uh, so the new pilots begin to join uh, uh, Jaster 2. Uh, so, how, so what's Balker doing? He's a sensible, intelligent, great leader. What's he going to do? Well, he's carefully supervising their training. So there are extensive lectures on aircraft recognition and the strengths and flaws of, of enemy aircraft. So the various ones he might meet, like he's going yeah. through what, what, what to do. Yeah. Uh, these are followed by training flights where he drills them in his, in his aerial tactics. Working in pairs? Yeah, they work as pairs. The leader and the wingman some 50 to 60 yards apart to allow a U-turn without colliding. Mm. He also practised larger formation flying. Um, so he holds back his pilots from active service. He wants them to go into action fully fledged. And uh, uh, But he himself continued to fly solo fight, flights and he did gain more victims. And you're going to take us through a, 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 another example, uh, Oswald Balker. So take us through the, uh, the story of another victory. I got to grips over flares. The fight did not last long, as these machines are almost defenceless against a skilled single-seater. I got onto the Vickers obliquely from behind. That's the best position if you attacked him directly from behind. His engine protects him like a thick armour belt. He tried in vain to wriggle out of the situation. Soon, his machine took fire. My attack had brought me so near to him that his explosion splashed my machine with the oil that ran out. The machine then went down in spirals, throwing its occupant out and was completely consumed by the flames. So there's an example of the different methods. In a pusher, you don't come from directly behind. So you teach this to your pilots. That's, that's a good example of the sort of knowledge. He'd be, so he'd get back that night and he'd talk them through that, wouldn't he? Now, on 15th of September, uh, there's a bunch of young pilots from 70 Squadron took off on a dawn patrol. Uh, they're, they're heading towards Bois d'Avrincourt, uh, which is near the Velu Woods. In my fact, it may be part of the same thing, at a height of about 12,000 feet. And who's amongst them? I am. Who am I? You're going to be Lieutenant Alan Bott of 70 Squadron. Now... Uh, he says this, I think they're flying top with one half so it's not entirely sure just at the moment. He says this, an aerodrome just east of the wood was the home of the Fokker star, Bolker. Cruikshank led us to it, for it was his great ambition to account for Germany's best pilot. Mm. While, we, while we approached, I looked down and saw eight machines with black Maltese crosses on their planes about 3,000 feet below. They had clipped wings of a peculiar whiteness and they were ranged one above the other like the rungs of a Venetian blind. A cluster of small scouts swooped down from heaven knows where, heaven knows what height, and hovered above us. But Cruikshank evidently did not see them, for he dived steeply on the Huns underneath, accompanied by the two machines nearest him. The other group of enemies then dived. So there's some below and some above them, and the, the, the leader hasn't spotted them. Oh dear, the ones above. 
Now, Cruikshank has a chance to achieve his ambition, doesn't he? Because um, amongst the German scouts is Bolker himself, and you're going to tell the story from Bolker's perspective. I was flying below them. The fellows took advantage of this to attack me. Impudence! I soon turned the tables on them and got one in my sights. I came nicely up to him and gave him about 50 rounds from close range, about 20 to 40 metres. Then, having had enough, he went down. After, Lieutenant von Richthofen had also given him a few superfluous rounds <laughs> into a wood near Herzbecourt and crashed. Oh dear, oh dear. Um, yeah. But I notice a t tone of criticism of Rick Doffin there. Who yeah, superfluous rounds. Desperate for his first victory, of course. Um, now, it's a bad day for 70 Squadron. They, lost, they lose four uh, aircraft. Uh, how does uh, Captain Cruikshank do? Well, he's dead. Uh, and in, indeed, he perhaps is shot down by his intended quarry, Bolker, who'd gained another two um, victims. Yeah, uh, so there you go. Now... Um, Although the, 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 these were new types of uh, German scouts they were flying, the Fokker D2, the Halberstadt D2, uh, they, they'd been arriving at the front throughout the summer of uh, 1916, but they, they only had one fixed forward firing machine gun. But there's a new aircraft coming. What's that called? Well, the Albatross D1 is the first scout to be armed with twin Spandau machine guns firing through the propeller without a corresponding loss in aerial performance. Now, this is due to its careful streamlining and the awesome power of its 160 horsepower Mercedes engine, which took it up to speeds of nearly 110 miles per hour. Now, it's clearly better than any British scout. It's better than the DH2. It's better than the... Uh the FE-2B, which later on becomes considered not even a scout at all. It's, it's better than a SOP with one and a half strutter. This, this is a, a world of difference, isn't it? And what does Bolker think of his new machine? Hitherto, I've generally flown Fokker biplanes, but today I shall take up one of the new Albatrosses. My pilots are all passionately keen and very competent, but I must first train them to steady teamwork. They are at present rather like young puppies in their zeal to achieve something. I always have a picture of a young putty slightly wetting itself with excitement whenever he, he says that. <laughs> anyway, uh, 17th uh, of September, um, untrained or not, the puppies uh, leave their mark on the battlefield. <laughs> Well, See what I've done there? Yes. <laughs> um, as Jaster 2 flew its first squadron mission, why do you think, and th this is unfair on you because there's no method, why do you think that there was a desperation to get them into the air on the 17th there? What had just happened a couple of days before? Uh, is this Arras? Battle of Flares, Cursolette. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, oh, it's close. Yeah, a year out. But uh, no, no, eight months out. But yeah, it's the, it's the tank battle, the great, the use of the tanks. Never heard and, of it. And the... <laughs> We did a whole podcast on it. <laughs> and uh, the, the great thing about it is uh, that, that, that this is the point. You, you wanted to leave their training a bit longer, but they haven't got the time, have they? They haven't got the time because this is, this is uh, everything in the kitchen sink. Uh, everything's got to go. Um, so uh, what happens? Bolker shoots down his 27th uh, victim and his men uh, shot down uh, another four more. And amongst them, we've been, we've actually read during the Richthofen things. You remember we read the account of how he shot him down, uh, uh, Morris and uh, the other chap uh, nearly we? ran into the back. Yes, we have. And uh, you're going to be Hauptmann Oswald Bulker summing up the, the day. This morning, I ran into an enemy squadron with two of my pilots, 
Lieutenants Ryman and Richtofen. We cleaned them up thoroughly. Each of us got one. I engaged the leader's machine, which I recognised by its streamers, and forced it down. My opponent landed at Equino, at Equin Corps, and promptly set fire to his machine. The inmates were taken prisoner. One of them was slightly wounded. The pilot had to land because I shot his engine to pieces. It's a funny way to describe them, the inmates. Yeah, there's sometimes some of these translations are weird. Uh, the translation of Bolker's book was done in the 1930s uh, by a chap, and sometimes it, it is weird. You're right. Well spotted. Now, the Albatross D1, it, it, these are FE2Bs they're facing. Uh, it totally outclasses it, doesn't it? Um, what, what's the point? It gives it a, a margin of error? Yeah, it, it, it allows for the fledgling German pilots to prosper and take their, their kills almost at will. Uh, now, you know, Richthofen himself is on his way to becoming the greatest scourge of the RFC. And Bolker, he's delighted at the results of the day's work. And he says this. The Staffel is making itself. We've got five English machines since yesterday evening. In view of these many numbers, Mother will be saying again that it is not right to number our victims in this unfeeling way. But we don't really do it. We do not number the victims who have fallen, but the machines we have brought down. That you can see from the fact that it only counts as one victory when two inmates are killed, but it still remains a number when both the inmates escape unhurt. We have nothing against the individual. We only fight to prevent him flying against us. So when we have eliminated an enemy force, we are pleased and book it as one up to us. Now, he doesn't stop his training, though. Uh, I mean, the DH2 and Newport uh, can still be difficult and dangerous. Uh, they may be a bit outclassed, but they can still be dangerous if you don't know what you're doing. Uh, so what does Bolker say? I have to give my pilots some training. That is not so simple because they are all inspired with such fiery zeal that it is often difficult to put the brake on them. They have certainly all learnt that the main thing is to get the enemy in your power and beat him down at once instead of arguing with him. But until I get it into their heads that everything depends on sticking together through thick and thin when the Staffel goes into battle and that it does not matter who actually scores the victory as long as the Staffel wins it, well, I can talk myself silly and sometimes I have to turn my heavy batteries onto them. I always give them some instruction before we take off and deal out severe criticism after every flight and especially after every fight. But they take it all very willingly. And this is this reminds me of both Manic and Richthoff and both of them were great teachers. Uh, they go through before what they wanted and afterwards whether they did it. And actually they get rid of people who wouldn't cooperate in, in the now Bolker would all they're almost practical lessons these flights aren't they and they could be deadly affairs and you've got another quote this is on the 19th of September just a couple of days later he and Jaster 2 disrupt a reconnaissance mission by some FE2Bs which are escorted by some of the Moraine parasols of 60 squadron now these are totally outclassed and, and the results are well you can guess what's going to happen and you're going to be Oswald Bolker Six of us rattled into a squadron consisting of eight or ten FEs and several Morans. The fat lattice towels down below and the Morans above as a cover. I engaged one of the latter and pranced about the air with him. He escaped me for a moment, but I got to grips with him west of Bapalm. 
One of my guns jammed, but the other shot all the better. I shot up that monoplane from close range until he broke up in flames and fell into the wood near Grevilleers in fragments. And that moraine was flown uh, by... This is where you look at that book by our friend Trevor Henshaw, uh, The Sky There Battlefield version 2, still available from uh, Trevor. And uh, if you look in that, you'll find it was Hugh, Captain Hugh Tower who was killed, uh, burnt to death in the crash, or killed in the crash. We don't know which, do we? Uh, 27th of September... Uh, it's all going on. It's a th it's going on constantly. Bulkerly led an attack on six Martin sides of 27 Squadron uh, over Bapome. And again, you're Oswald Bulker. I gave the signal to attack and the fun started. It was a mighty scrap. I got to grips with one and blasted him properly, but came up too close and had to pass out below him. Then I went into a turn, in the course of which I saw the Englishman go down and fall like a sack somewhere near Ervilliers. I engaged another immediately. There were plenty of them. He tried to get away from me, but it did not avail him. I hung on close behind all the time, yet I was surprised at this opponent's tenacity. I thought I really must have settled him some time before, but he kept on flying round and round in the same sort of circles. At last I could stand it no longer. I said to myself that the man must be dead and the controls are jammed so as to keep the machine in a normal position. So I flew quite close up to him, then I saw the man sprawling over in the cockpit, dead. I left the machine to its fate. Now, that, this, uh, that's exactly what it was. Uh, Second Lieutenant Stephen Dendrino, poor sod. And actually, he just lapsed into unconsciousness and he died shortly after crashing behind the German lines. Uh, he was still alive. Poor sod. Now, as we move into October... Um, well, what what result... How, how well would you say the training process of JASTA 2 is going? Well, the, the, the evidence of uh, the training are in the results and, and there's starkly evidence as his pupils shoot down more and more aircraft and his own score was growing faster and faster. He reached 40 on the 26th of October. So half what Rick Toffen would finish with in the end, but in less time, very quickly. But it's not just about the numbers. More importantly uh, was his impact on the pilots of JASTA 2, who collectively shoot down 32 victories in October 1916. Nine of his pilots later become aces. And interestingly, of course, that's what the point is. Rick Doffin's 80s, in part, the credit does, some of that credit goes to Bolker, who taught him, taught him everything he knew. Uh, it's it's clear that even the best available uh, Royal Flying Corps scout, the Newport 17... Which is French, but yeah, it was, yeah. ...was demonstrably slower and could also be outclimbed by the Albatross D1 and D2 yeah, scouts. Because they've got a second variant of the Albatross, yeah. Now, overall, the German aviators are taking heart. You mean, you mean across the whole of the German Air Force? Yeah, because they're cheered by the arrival of the new scouts and the inspirational successes of Bolker and his Jester too. Oh, so uh, so what happens? Uh, Twenty six. He's got well, forty victims. So it's all uh, all going well, swimmingly for Bolker and Jester too. Yeah, well, um, <laughs> there's just one terrible silver lining for the hard pressed British. What's that? Well, on the twenty eighth of October, Bolker and his Jester took off during a gap in the stormy weather. Soon they clashed with their opponent, uh, their opposite numbers of twenty four squadron, and this time you're going to be. Lieutenant Irwin Byrne. Hang on, hang on. Why don't you tell a story, Oswald Barker? This is Irwin Byrne. I wanted you to tell the story. Because this is Irwin Byrne. Why? 
there's going to be a reason why. Is there? It's Erwin Byrne. Oh, well, I'll miss your voice. And you are going to be... I am going to be Erwin Erwin Byrne. Byrne. Now, he's the uh, 37-year-old. Yes, he's the the older gentleman. And he's Bolker's best friend. And uh, Erwin Bohm, Lieutenant Erwin Bohm, says this. I'd just begun a game of chess with Bolker. Then then about 4.30, we called to PM. We called to the front because there was an infantry attack going on. We were soon attacked by some English machine, machines we found flying over flares. They were fast single-seaters that depended themselves well. In the ensuing wild battle of turns that, that only let us get in a few shots in for a brief intervals, we tried to force the English down. <laughs> by one after another, barring their way, a manoeuvre we had often practised successfully. Now, Richtofen is also... Well, there seems to be everyone but Bolker giving accounts. But anyway, you're going to be Richtofen now. You're, you're definitely picking the great aces for yourself here. Thank you. I'm going to be Lieutenant Manfred von Richtofen. We were six against their two. If they'd been 20, we would not have been surprised to receive the signal of attack from Bolker. The usual battle began. Bolker went after one and I the other. Close to Bolker flew a good friend of his. It was an interesting fight. Both fired and at any moment the Englishman had to fall. Both fired? Mm. This is uh, your point well made earlier, isn't it? What? uh, Both fired? Anyway, uh, scouts are twisting and turning. They're trying to get into the ideal shooting position. they're doing everything in a flash, in a moment. They're thinking of it and doing it instantaneously. It's split-second thoughts in a three-dimensional chess, isn't it? That, that, and, and how good are you at three-dimensional chess? I'm not very good at two-dimensional chess. No, me neither. Anyway, I'm going to be uh, Lieutenant Erwin Bohm again, just the two. Bolker and I had just got one Englishman between us when another opponent, chased by a friend Richtofen, cut across us. Quick as lightning, Bolker and I both dodged him, but for a, a moment our wings prevented us from seeing anything of one another, and that was the cause of it. How am I to describe my sensations from the moment when Bolker suddenly loomed up a few metres away on my right? He put his machine down and I pulled mine up. Then it happened, and you're going to bear this was watched by Lauten and Manfred von Richthofen. Suddenly, I noticed an unnatural movement of the two German flying machines. Immediately, I thought, collision. I had not yet seen a collision in the air. I'd imagined it would look quite different. In reality, what happened was not a collision. The two machines merely touched one another. However, if two machines go at the tremendous pace of flying machines, the slightest contact has the effect of a violent concussion. Now, after so the, just the wings, just tippy, tippy, touchy, touchy. But both pilots start to fall down to the, towards the ground, and I'm going to be Lieutenant Erwin Bohm. It was only the faintest touch, but the terrific speed at which we were going made it into a violent impact. Destiny is generally cruelly stupid in her choices. I only had a bit of my undercarriage ripped, but the extreme tip of his left wing was torn away. That's Bolker's left wing torn away. After falling a couple of hundred metres, I regained control of my machine and was then able to observe Bulkers, which I saw heading for our lines in a gentle glide, but dipping a bit on one side. When he came into a layer of clouds in the lower regions, his machine dipped more and more owing to the violent gusts there. Now, 
They're watching. Can you imagine the scene? These Richtoff and the other pilots, Richtoff and Baum, watching this great man. They're, they're his protégés. They're just watching. And they must have been praying that his albatross would hold together. Just a few more moments until Balka could make some sort of emergency landing. Oh, perhaps it's all still going to be all right. Is he going to make it? Is he going to make it? Is he going to make it? You tell us, Lauten and Richtoff. Balka drew away from his victim and descended in large curves. I'd not the feeling that he was falling, but when I saw him descending below me, I noticed that part of his planes had broken off. I could not see what was happening afterwards, but in the clouds he lost an entire plane. Now his machine was no longer controllable. It fell, accompanied all the time by Bulker's faithful friend. And I'm going to be that faithful friend, Boehm, Boehm, Lautenant Erwin Boehm. I had to look on while he failed to flatten out to land and crashed near a battery position. Men came running to the rescue from the battery's dugout. My attempt to land close to my friend was impossible on account of the trenches and shell holes there. I flew quickly to our aerodrome. They did not tell me till the following day that my machine turned over on landing. I certainly knew nothing about it when it happened. I was absolutely distracted, but I still cherished hopes. But when we arrived at the scene of the accident in a car, they brought the body along to us. He must have been killed outright at the moment of the crash. Bolker never wore a crash helmet and never strapped himself in tight in an albatross. Otherwise, he might have survived the crash. Now, when I read that, I'm reminded of McCudden. Yeah, it's almost the opposite with McCudden, isn't it? No, McCudden didn't have a... a, a, he, he, He was his brother, remember? His brother was strapped in and died. McCudden wasn't strapped in and was thrown out. And it's these... It seems oh, yeah, you, hit a tree you, or something, you can't do right for doing wrong, can you, in, in an aeroplane when it crashes? Um, how do you think the Jaster 2, well, obviously, Boehm's heartbroken. How do you think Jaster 2 react to the news? Well, they're stunned. Bolker had been their mentor, uh, although a stern taskmaster. He was a true hero figure to his men. You mentioned Boehm. He, of course, felt a particular anguish. Although it's clear the accident was unavoidable in the chaotic circumstances of the dogfight. I think it was. It's just an accident. And he didn't get a lot of clatter for it. Um, Now, a a memorial service was held at Cambrai Cathedral on the 31st of October. And it's interesting that... I find it interesting that Bulk was seen as a chivalrous... I'm not sure how chivalrous he really was, but he was seen as a fair and honourable opponent and admired by the British, who so many had killed. How do we know that he was admired? Well, because a floral tribute was sent by the British RFC pilots languishing in the Osnabrück POW camp, which included Captain Robert Wilson, who'd been Bulker's 20th victim. Its ribbon was addressed to the opponent we admired and esteemed so highly. And then again, from, from those who weren't captured, Lieutenant Thomas Green of Three Squadron risked his life, if you think about it, to drop a wreath over the German lines. And that read, to the memory of Captain Bolker, our brave and chivalrous opponent. Um, so where was he eventually buried? Well, he's buried in his hometown of Dessau. I think he's an important great war ace because he did. He, perhaps Immelman might have codified it, but Bolker always seems to have been more thoughtful, and and he does. The Bolker dicta is the. It's at the root of aerial fighting, isn't it? It is aerial tactics. It it sort of remained that way until fighters 
developed into the ridiculous machines they are today. All the way through to the Korean War, he's, I think his dicta had a, a relevance and a value. He's the man who taught Rick Doffin. Um, he was never defeated in the air, if you like, although if you run into your uh, friend's aeroplane, in one sense you are. What do you think of him? You admire, what do you think of him? Well, I, th I certainly think he was a, a, a great leader of men and he, he took great pains to make sure that he was passing on what he was learning. Uh, you make the point uh, quite well early on in, in today's podcast. Not only are they learning, you know, the tactics of the scout, they're actually learning how to fly some of these aircraft. You know, things they try things that have never been done before and then he passes that on. Um, and, and, you know, you, you could argue that Rick Toffen followed that uh, dicta uh, until he decided not to. Well, he's killed, breaking he's almost every breaking, single rule. Breaking the rules, exactly. What about his, uh, his retreat? From uh, What about making sure your retreat home's covered? That yeah. kind of thing. Well, uh, absolutely. What about splitting up? What about all Rick Toffen breaks? about six of the ten dicta and pays the price now what do we, where can we find out more about uh, oswald Barker? well there's two sources that i use my favorite source is uh, the original book by uh, uh johan uh, werner and that's called immelman knight of germany oswald Bulker, german ace uh, i recommend that it's it a lot of it is is made up of letters translated from Bulker himself he wrote regularly to his parents uh and i i think that's uh, the best way of finding out about Bolker. But there is another book, and that's called Oswald Bolker, Germany's First Fighter Ace by, by R.G. Head. He must be very, very posh because he's got only initials. Uh, that I find less good and more and a little bit more rambling, but it is still of interest, and that's available very cheaply from from various sources. I, I think you can get a copy of that for a couple of quid. So I recommend both those, and uh, I know you, you're looking forward to reading them because I've got a spare copy of one of them. Don't you use your initials? No. Oh. Yes. <laughs> On that high note. Cheers, Pete. 15th of September. I'll remember that date. Cheers. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook to learn more about each episode. And if you'd like to support the podcast, you have a couple of options. You can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee forward slash pgmh or consider subscribing to the podcast for only £2 per month and get ad-free listening and bonus content. You can find links for both on our Facebook and Twitter accounts. 
Sounds great, doesn't it?